Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. So glad that you joined us today here at Pinewood Church. My name is Parker Manuel. I'm the pastor here at Pinewood. Look at you guys. You guys look amazing today. Look how you're socially distanced, just perfect. Isn't it a beautiful day? No haze. Today we're kicking off a new series titled Minute by Minute. Let's go. Minute by Minute. Thank you for the enthusiasm behind a new collection of talks, Minute by Minute. And today's message, the title of today's message is Foundation, Filter, and Force. Foundation, Filter, and Force. How many of you here today would say that ever since becoming a follower of Jesus, you have read your Bible every single day. If that's you, would you go ahead and just stand to your feet so we can give you a round of applause today? Come on, let us know who you are. Stand here. We know that you're out there. The super Christian. You've read your Bible every day. Nobody, huh? I've actually never seen anybody stand up on this one. And the purpose of me asking you that question is not to guilt you into not reading your Bible every day. This isn't like Bible shaming from the stage. (laughs) That's actually not at all what's happening here. It's actually quite the opposite. My goal for today is to show you that the reading of God's word is not just a religious activity that we do. It's not just a spiritual discipline that we put in our life and establish in our lives, but that when we open up God's word, the foundation, the filter, and the force, when we open up God's word, we're having a very personal and intimate encounter with a living and holy God. That reading God's word is less about history. It's less about gaining wise counsel. And it's all about a personal relationship with God. I want to remove any religiosity. Is that a word? Can we say religiousness, whatever you want to say, from the concept of God's word in your life today. And I want to let you know that God wants to speak to you. And how does God speak to us? He can speak to us through prayer. Sure, he can speak through others, but His primary means of communicating with us is through His holy and perfect Word of God. And that's what I want to unpack for us in our time together today. God's Word meets you right where you are. You know, that's our mission statement of Pinewood is to meet people where they are. Why? Because we believe that relationship goes first. That we don't want to project something on you. First, we want to hear your story. We want to find out what's going on in your life. What are you going through? What are your goals? What do you feel like your vision is for your life? And then we want to say, guess what? God loves you and he wants to come alongside you on that vision. God's word is the same way. As we approach God's scripture, the scripture meets us right where we are. If you're angry, you don't have to wait to become happy to open up God's word. It can meet you in your anger. If you're doubting, which many of you are like, okay, we're talking about God's word. I'm already doubting. Guess what? God's word meets you in your doubt. But aren't you glad today that his word is alive? It's not just a book that although it meets you right where you are, it doesn't leave you the way that you are. 
God's word transforms you from the inside out. It's not a book of rules. If we were to read a 10 steps to becoming a better Christian, that's not the Bible. That's a self-help book. That's the book projecting their principles on you. God's word is a little different. As you read God's word and as you walk along your life with God, he actually comes from the inside out, reveals truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth in your life and he transforms you from the inside out. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's a relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. The title of the series is Minute by minute. And the, the phrase actually means uh, quickly passing through time. You've probably used this statement before in your life. And I would say that that is our current reality. We're living in a minute by minute reality. I mean, you could wake up one day and find out about news that you didn't hear about. Another forest fire, another crisis, another tragedy. How do we respond? Minute by minute. I believe that how we respond minute by minute is how we view scripture, how we prioritize scripture. Because minute by minute, without a foundation, how do you know how you're going to respond and have a firm foundation minute by minute? Without a filter to make decisions, how are you going to know what decisions you're going to be making is going to be the right decisions minute by minute? We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. If you have your Bibles, turn there, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to download the YouVersion app. It's a free app on your phone, and you can follow right along. You can look at all the scripture around it, and you can read along with me. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know that who taught you, and you know that... From infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lean in right here. Verse 16 says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray before we dive into this text. Father, I pray right now that you would be the spirit, you would be the teacher, that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. Uh, Father, we're thankful that your presence is here. I feel it. And God, I just pray that as your word is preached and as we unpack the truths of your word and, and just talk about what it means to be in the word, Father, that you would open up our hearts to respond in obedience to what you're teaching us today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and everybody say foundation. foundation. First, we're going to be looking at the foundation of Scripture, and that is in verse 16 where it says, all Scripture is inspired by God. I want to ask another question a little similar to the first. How many of you since becoming a follower of Jesus has questioned the validity of Scripture? <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're getting more and more honest. All right, let's try one more time. How many of you have doubted that the scripture is 100% true? Let's see. Okay, there we go. Most of the, most of the house today. That's the perfect place to start. Uh, my hand goes up as well. I am uh, a skeptic by nature. So when somebody tells me something, I almost immediately 
push back saying, prove it, prove it. And so today I believe that it's important that if we're going to make God's word the foundation of our life, I think we need to do a little bit of research. I think we need to understand what is it about God's word that makes it so foundational, so true. That brings validation, which by the way, I want to go ahead before I unpack this, I want to say that scripture does validate itself. You don't have to validate God's words. (laughs) I think he can validate that for himself. But I do believe that it's important to understand why are we making this a foundation of our life? And do we truly believe that God's word is inspired? Because our view of scripture determines our value of it. That's true in every area of our life. If you have a bad view of the church, then you're going to devalue the church. If you have a bad view of marriage, maybe it's because of what you've experienced in marriage, well, then you're not going to value marriage. I would say that's true in every area. If you don't uh, have a good view of your kids, I don't know why I'm laughing, (laughs) Uh, then you're not going to value your kids. I love my kids, though. Same is true for the Bible. Love you. If you have a view that the Bible is a book of rules, then you're probably not going to prioritize it in your day-to-day life. Because who wants to be told what to do every time you open up a book? Or if you think that the Bible is full of error, how can you really even know if it's true, if it is inspired by God? Well, then in all honesty, like even just asking the question, myself, like, why would you waste your time? Why, why would you waste your time reading something that is full of errors and you know that may or may not be true? If you believe that the Bible is not relevant for today, that it's just this ancient manuscript that was good for them, but it doesn't really relate to me today. Well, then my guess is you're probably not going to go to the Bible for help. You're probably going to go to a self-help book. You're probably going to go to a leadership book. Why? Because they were written by more relevant authors. But if you do believe that the scripture is God's inspired word, that it is his breath over your life, that it is him speaking to you, then I can't think of anything in our lives greater than us prioritizing and valuing getting into God's word. Is that true? Do you believe that today? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point specifically, just because there's just so much we can talk about. We could unpack the validity, the canonization of scripture, the historical manuscripts. We could spend a lot of time unpacking that together. And I would love to do that. If you want to go into a deep dive into the inspiration of scripture, we're going to do that. But I'm going to give you the cliff notes version, if that's okay. So let's hang on. If you're taking notes, I highly encourage you, write some of this down. Fact check me. Fact check me. You know, hit up Google if you want to. Just be careful. Okay. Uh, But fact check me. The Bible consists of 40 different authors uh, written from three different continents in three different languages. And it was written over the span of 1,500 years comprising of 66 books. You with me so far? (laughs) So three different continents, three different languages, 44 authors, 1,500 years. So just to give you a frame and a context of the Bible, uh, that's pretty significant. You would think that if that many people 
from that many different places in that many different languages wrote about that many different things, you would think that over the course of 1500 years, you would get a very confusing book. Like what, what is Paul even talking about? How does Moses fit with what Timothy is writing about? You're like, what is happening here? How does Jericho, you know, finding the battle of Jericho have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Like, you're like, you're so confused on this big narrative. But how many of you know, this is just so fascinating to me that the Bible is not just historical. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a love story. From the beginning to the end, the Bible is pointing to one person. The Old Testament is looking ahead. The New Testament is looking back. And here we are 2,000 years later, still looking back. And his name is Jesus. The centerpiece of the Bible is Jesus. And the consistency throughout both the old and new, pointing to this one narrative behind a Messiah that would come, that would be born of a virgin, that would die, that would rise in three days. And that would be the resurrected Lord, Messiah, Savior of the world, now seated at the right hand of God. The, the fact that like all of this is both prophesied of and affirmed, 1,500 years is astounding to me. This is a fun fact that <clears throat> I, th I always find so interesting whenever we look back on a history and we talk about um, philosophers, we would never question was Caesar or Plato or Aristotle, did they exist? How many of you think they existed? <laughs> How many of you probably studied them in college, right? I know I did. <clears throat> Let's just talk about the number of manuscripts that we have from each of these people. Author written 100 to 44 BC, earliest fragments. This is huge. What do we know about history? The closer you can get to the actual event, this is just historical. What we believe, we believe that it's most true. The closer we can get. So if it's written 900 years later, we're like, I'm not, uh, there's been a lot of time passed, so I'm not really sure. The earliest manuscript copy, 900 AD. That's a time span of a thousand years. We have 10 manuscripts from Caesar. Plato, 40, 427 BC. Earliest manuscripts, AD 900. That's like 1100 years ago, just in case. Like AD 900. Time span is 1200 years. This is Plato. How many manuscripts do we have of Plato? Seven. Aristotle? 304 BC, earliest fragment, AD 100, time span 1400 years, number of manuscripts, 49 manuscripts of Aristotle. Fascinating, right? How about this one? Homer, 900 BC, earliest fragment, 400 BC. We're like, ooh, now we're getting close. The, like that, that time span is getting closer. It's only a time span of 500 years. Number of manuscripts, 643. That's a lot. That's a short time span. That's a lot of manuscripts. And we spent a lot of time studying Homer. Now, nobody doubts that these stories are true. We lean into the validity of it without question, and we teach it in our universities. Now, let's look at the scripture. The New Testament. Let's start with the New Testament. AD 40 to AD 100. Earliest fragments, AD 125. That's a time span of 25 to 50 years. Let's look at the difference. Caesar, Plato, 
a thousand, twelve hundred year time span. New Testament, 25 years to 50 year gap. Now, how many manuscripts do we have of the New Testament? Does anybody, let's just, let's just play a game here. We have uh, Homer, this is astounding number, 643. How many manuscripts do we have of the New Testament? 2,000, 1,500. Anybody else? 10,000. 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Would the worship team go ahead and come on up as we begin to... 24,000 manuscripts. And we're like, I don't know. I don't know, you know. In the span of 25 to 50 years... One of the greatest finds of our generation is the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the Quorum Caves back in 1946. And these took our manuscripts from, manuscripts from 900 AD all the way back to 100 AD. This was found in 1946, Dead Sea Scrolls. Look it up. It's, it is astounding. One, I've seen the Dead Sea Scroll. It's so cool to see them. There was a... Uh, you, you actually could have seen them in Denver. I think it was last year. 95% accurate, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Every book in the Bible other than Esther was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was 95% accurate. Wow. You're like, see? I told you. There's error. What about the 5%? The 5% were minor spelling and grammatical changes, and that's all. Otherwise, 100% accurate, accurate with our already existing New Testament that we have. Is that not profound? So let's just say 1,500 years, 44 authors. Then we have 24,000 manuscripts. Then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls found in 1946 that affirmed up to 100% with some minor spelling grammatical changes of what we already knew was God's inspired word. Not only that, <laughs> if... Let's just take it two steps further and then we're going to move on. I already told you I wasn't going to stay here long and I could actually stay here a long time because I would love to get to the canonization process. But let's look at first the disciples and the apostles. The disciples in the New, that were in the New Testament, that wrote the New Testament, the disciples and the apostles, they were the one that, that wrote what we're reading today. And all of the disciples, but John, gave their life for the message of what they were writing about. They died for it. Now, I believe that if somebody, now, now this isn't true for everybody, but if somebody's going to give their life for a message, I'm going to lean in to say, what message are they trying to preach? All of the New Testament were apostles that learned from and walked with Jesus. So the people that were reading about in the Bible are not just third, fourth, fifth hand accounts. These were people that saw the risen Lord. The apostles were people that saw the risen Lord and the disciples were people that walked with Jesus. For a second, let's look at prophecy. In the Bible, we see over 300 prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. 300. And guess how many of them Jesus fulfilled? All of them. All of the prophecies. If you even look up prophecies fulfilled, Google it. Prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. If you look by, if you also, while you're looking at it, look at a, a study by Dr. Stoner. Yeah, I know. It's, 
a reliable source, I know. Uh, but I know it really is. It's, look at a study. And he is a mathematician that studies the probability behind what it would look like for that many prophecies over that span of time to be fulfilled by one person. Any analogy that he gave was that if you were flying over a plane and just dumped out all of the parts uh, for a fighter jet, that in the air, they all put themselves together and they take off in flight. <laughs> <laughs> the probability of that many prophecies being fulfilled over that span of time in one person is impossible, but not with God. God's word is inspired. And then why not look at the Guinness Book of World Records? The Bible is still to this day the number one best-selling, world's best-selling and widely most distributed book in the world. And guess what? In the Guinness Book of World Record, it's in the nonfiction section. Because it's true. Most distributed, most printed, and the number one book to this day. Aren't you grateful for the Bible? Are you grateful today for God's word? It's a big deal. Our view of scripture determines our value. And I don't think that anything that I told you maybe swayed you one way or the other. Because for many of you, you didn't even necessarily need a lot of that because you've already had a personal, real, and intimate encounter with a holy God through scripture, which I think is even more so valid. When we make God's word our foundation, then we have something firm to stand on. What is your foundation? Because whatever your foundation is will determine what your filter is. So what is your foundation? If your foundation is your career, then your filter is going to be, well, then does this decision help elevate and advance my career? If your foundation is going to be family, well, then how can I position myself so that whatever I say, whatever I do, however I prioritize my life, family is always first. But if your foundation is God's word, then that is going to give you a firm foundation to stand on. We see this in uh, Matthew. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell and the river rose and the winds blew and poured that house. Yet it didn't collapse because the foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house in the sand. The rain fell, the river rose, and the wind blew and pounded on the house, and it collapsed. And the collapse was a great crash. In a minute-by-minute world where everything is changing around us, I believe that we need a foundation that is never changing. That is always true that is always firm, that we can stand on in every season and every circumstance. This foundation that we stand in helps provide a filter. What does the scripture say in uh, verse 16? It says, it's good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. God's word is alive. It's teaching, rebuking, training, and it's correcting. It's a filter. Now, when you think of a filter, you think of something coming from something, and then getting poured out. So there's like an input, and then there's an output. Import, export. Something's coming in, something's coming out. What is your filter? You know, we've been having a lot of conversations around how do you discern 
What is right and wrong? What is your filter? How do you discern what direction that God is calling you to? What's your filter? If it's sometimes scripture and it's sometimes you, then that's, that's the wrong filter. That's at the end of the day, that's still a you filter. I want, I, want to, I want us to consider today, what if we were to stand firm on God's word and put on a filter of God's word? I think your filter will honestly be what you prioritize. What you value. What are you prioritizing in your life that's creating your filter? Instagram? Fox News? CNN, MSNBC, ESPN. Can we just give a shout out to football today? Uh, let's just, okay, thank you. ESPN. Go Broncos. <laughs> Amen, God's team. Lots of favor there. I felt his anointing today on Broncos. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But what, is, what are you prioritizing in your life? That will ultimately become what your filter is. I remember when I was being ordained as a pastor, uh, I had a group of, uh, it was around 28 other pastors that were, um, you know, having conversations with me. That's the nice way to way, uh, say, uh, making it happen in my life during the ordination process. And uh, I remember at the end of that process, um, they said, we want to just speak some truth over your life. And one by one, they went around the room to these pastors. And these are great, I mean, great men of God. Men, I'm people that have been walking with God for 50 years, 70 years. Yeah, like 30 years. I mean, just great men of God. And uh, they said, one of the things, the number one thing that I want to encourage you with, one by one, every single person said this, the number one thing that I want to encourage you in, never neglect your time in the word. 100% of the pastors said this over my life. Never neglect the power. Never neglect your time spent in God's word. It wasn't, hey, here's some encouragement on how to be a better leader. Here's how to lead your family well. Hey, don't forget to date your wife. There was none of these principles that you would think like a pastor would speak wisdom over somebody's life. The number one piece of wisdom they gave me was never neglect spending time in God's word. Why? Because they know whatever you spend your time with, Whatever you give your energy towards, whatever you prioritize, that's how you're going to lead. That's how you're going to make decisions. And they knew that God's word was the most powerful, most purposeful thing we could spend our time in. I want to give you an illustration of what I mean by this. Found in a bucket of water and a sponge. This illustration is brought to you by Lowe's Home Improvement, which is better than Home Depot. All right. Um, oh, hold on. Oh, hang on. All right. Uh, I got a couple sponges here. Uh, this idea of a filter, uh, I believe, is the idea of saturation. Saturating our lives with something. And this bucket and this water represents God's word. And I would just want to be honest. This is something that I do in my life. So <clears throat> when I'm going through seasons of change, or like when another forest fire starts or uh, another crisis happens and, and I, have to, I have to pivot, pivot minute, minute by minute, I'm usually like this. I'm normally, if this is God's word, I'm normally like uh, trying to make a decision, trying to make a move. And then I kind of like reach in God's word and I'm kind of like, God, I need you. I'm like spending like five minutes with him in his word on my way somewhere. <laughs> I'm like 
praying as I make the decision, you know? <laughs> and then I sprinkle some of God's truth and God's word over my life. It was profitable for teaching, correcting, training, rebuking righteousness. And I'm like, okay, okay give me some of that. <clears throat> and then when the pressure of life is applied to my life and, and, and my life begins to get squeezed, nothing comes out. And I make bad decisions and I make uh, maybe the wrong choices or maybe I'm still not prioritizing the right things. And I'm like, ah, I just don't understand. You know, I read, I read God's word on my way to work out. I don't know why this isn't working. And then like, maybe I, I read a little bit more and then, and then I, pressure's applied again. And I'm like, what's the deal, God? Where are you at? I'm not hearing your voice. But I believe what God is calling us to is, is not just to give him our leftover time, but to really prioritize him and saturate our lives in his word. Get in it, sit in it, rest in it. Maybe leave it there a minute. Maybe study it. Maybe while we're reading scripture, we're in prayer. And then as we begin to soak in it, you come out dripping. And you feel refreshed. You feel filled up, satisfied. I was walking with a pastor friend of mine who pours into my life and he was asking me, he said, you know, there's been a lot of change in um, the world, in your life and in the church. And he said, yeah, how are you doing? He's just leaning into me personally and which I'm so grateful for. And I said, man, to be honest, I said, I feel amazing. I said, I feel joy, God's joy in my spirit. Uh, I feel refreshed. I feel excited for a new season. And even with everything going on around me, I, I feel good. And uh, I said, I know it's like, the, I don't want it to be like the, the typical pastor response, but like apart from God's word and God's faithfulness in my life, I would be a train wreck. But it's because I've, I've been filled up. I've been in his word. And then when you're in his word and the pressure is applied to your life, what comes out? More of his word and more of his word and more of his word. And it just keeps being poured out. And when people have questions and, and they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on in your life, you meet them where they are and you point them to Jesus and you point them to God's word and you say, I don't know, let's go into God's word together. Let me speak God's truth over your life because I got, I got more where that came from. It's not just to fill you up, it's to pour out onto others and to be a blessing to others. What's your, what's your, what's your filter? What's your filter in your life? <clears throat> I believe as we begin to really think through this idea of uh, setting a, a biblical foundation for our lives, like, okay, God's word is true. Uh, God's word is um, holy. God's word is right. It's inspired by God. Now it's, my, now it's my filter. I'm allowing it to teach me, to rebuke me, to correct me, to train me for righteousness so that I can be holy. So, so all of the decisions that I make, I'm going to filter through God's word. What happens next? Well, I believe that as we begin to uh, allow God's word to soak in our lives, we begin to be changed from the inside out. And as we're changed from the inside out, and as we overflow, God's word becomes a force. If God's word is a book, then that's all that it is. But if it's alive, it becomes a force. Let's see what it says. And so that every man or woman may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Meaning that as we began to soak in God's word, filter our actions through his word, that we are fully equipped and capable to fulfill the mission that God has called us to. Fully equipped, not halfway equipped. The Bible was not given for information, but transformation. It's a love story. It's transformative. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and joints into the morrow and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. You may go into the Bible with doubt. You may go into the Bible with anger, but guess what the Bible is going to do? It's going to go into you with love, with grace, with wisdom, with faith. Now, I want to, uh, I need, I need, a, I need a, uh, Matt to come help me with this final illustration. Uh-oh. So we're talking about filter. We're talking about the Bible being a, a, a filter and using the sponge method, but I don't think the, I don't think the sponge is actually going to help me a whole lot here. It's not a good weapon. All right. Now we're going to talk about the Bible as a force. It's like a two, double-edged sword. And I think that many, <laughs> I told you it was going to get intense. I did not tell Matt what was going to happen. Um, I think many of, many of us fight our lives like this. This is how uh, we engage in conflict. This is how we make decisions. Um, this is how we prioritize. Like This is how we engage uh, with the enemy. I'm so sorry. I, I can be the enemy if you want. But I'm, l- no, let's say you're the enemy. Hold on, which, which, sword, which one do you want? Which one do you feel like you could be most dangerous with? All right. Um, this is how we fight a lot of our battles in this life. We have very spongy weapons. And whether it's on uh, social media Bro, this is real. or the internet, uh, we use what force we think is going to be most effective. So we take our weapon of choice and we come against, we come against the enemy. Um, I want you to actually, actually hit me. I don't, I don't know. Pastor. No, like, no, like try to take me out. Like go for, I want to aim for the head and everything. I'm a, no, see, no, you aim for the weapon. Aim for my head. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this hurts really bad, by the way. Are you okay? I'm great. I'm good. I hit I'm you good. really hard. I'm, I'm really sorry. I just, it doesn't work if we don't go halfway. You're right. You're right. So what ended up happening is we think we're attacking the enemy. I am really sorry. This is, good. Good. And what we're, what we're really doing is we're just taunting the enemy. Do you think that I'm actually going to be able to take out Matt? giant Hulk mat with a like compression foam sword. I I mean, I honestly don't think he needs a weapon. I think he could pretty much just take me regardless, but this is how we fight our battles. We're taunting. Why? Because we're using our opinion because we're using the wrong filter, the wrong foundation. And no matter how hard we work, We're never going to succeed. We're never going to defeat the giants in our life, the enemies in our life. We're never going to overcome. But if we change our strategy just a little, 
<laughs> All right. This is an axe. It's a real axe. It's a sharp axe. Like three and a half. Yeah, it's, it's a three and a half pound blade. I mean, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to try one more time. <laughs> All right. Here. Why, why, would, uh, why would Matt not want to fight me? Me with an axe and him with a foam karate chop sword. The victory has been won before it even started. The battle is won before it even began. The enemy cannot stand against the power of God's word. Thank you so much. I was like, I love you. I would never hurt you. I would never hurt you. The enemy cannot stand against the power of God's word. When Jesus was entering into his ministry and the enemy tried to come against him and he tried to tempt him and he tried to distract him, what tactic did Jesus use to fend off the enemy? What did he do? He used scripture. And if Jesus used scripture to fight off the enemy, to ward off the enemy, well, then why are we playing with kids' swords? I believe that God is calling us to make the word of God our foundation, to put all of our trust, to put all of our faith into the truth of his word and to say, yes, Father, I affirm your word in 2 Timothy 3.16 that your word is inspired and that I want to be fully equipped as a man and a woman to be able to accomplish the mission you've called me for. So I'm going to make it the foundation of my family. I'm going to make it the foundation of my career. I'm going to make the truth of your word, the foundation of, of my politics, on the truth of your foundation of my word, how I spend my time and energy and my money. So God, your word is going to be my foundation. Second, it's going to be my filter. It's going to be the, uh, the filter by which as I in- input, I'm going to filter what does God's word say about what I watch? What does God's word say about what I listen to? What does God's word say about how I spend my time and my money? I'm going to filter that through God's word, through the Holy Spirit and in prayer. And then finally, I'm going to use it as a force. I believe that as God's word goes forth, it'll accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. This is Isaiah 55, 11 through 13. It says that as it goes forth, it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And it says it will have success. Meaning that as we go out and preach God's word, teach God's word and share God's word with others, we are actually sharing from victory because God's word never fails. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.